Hi there. Welcome to the fourth episode of Pain in the Glass. I'm Luke. And I'm Rose. And this week we have a special episode. I'm going to let Rose introduce it because... Well. It's a subject close to my heart. Um, we interviewed my mother, who was visiting us in Madrid with my dad for the weekend and it was Mother's Day we interviewed her on Sunday the 11th of March which was Mother's Day in the UK and it's a little bit different this episode from our other previous ones because rather than talking about Madrid and Spain we talked to my mum about her experience teaching in Paris and then also her later experience teaching in the UK so very different from what we're doing here so she taught in schools and and in a university in the UK where she had um international groups of people whereas what we're doing is just with Spanish people yeah monolingual very different experiences from from what she was saying yeah by the sounds of it but I mean make up your own mind yeah and she has some good stories to tell she does have some good stories we didn't ask her about her favorite day in Madrid unfortunately because she's only spent maybe a whole (laughs) two weekends total of yeah we had a lovely time though we had uh so they were here just for a long weekend and but it was really really raining a lot so we had to do sort of rainy day activities museum um or we went to a flamenco flamenco show it was great and then on the sunday evening we relaxed in the airbnb we watched the crown (laughs) and uh, my dad cooked us a some dinner while we spoke to mum about teaching English. So yeah, I hope you enjoy this episode and yeah, any feedback you have, let us know. We're joined by my mum today uh, for a special edition and we're recording on Mother's Day and my mum and dad came to visit us in Madrid so we thought we would take the opportunity to talk to mum about her experiences with tapas. Who are you? Where are you from? (laughs) So I'm Sally, I'm Rose's mum, and I live in Cambridge. I was a student in Cambridge, and when I was graduating in, very bad at dates, I think 1982, I had been thinking of doing VSO, but... What's that? Oh, that's Voluntary Service Overseas, I don't know if it still exists in the same form now. Um, It was very much a white saviour movement, um, where... (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> we that would uh, we would yeah. travel around the world and teach people how to live properly and how to speak <laughs> proper English and so on. And um, I had been thinking of doing that, but in my final year at university, I fell in love with your father, Rose. Aww. Aww. And so I suddenly didn't want to be on the other side of the world. He still had a year to do at Cambridge after I'd left. And some of my friends were thinking of doing TEFL, teaching English as a foreign language. And I talked to them about it and four of us went to London and we did a four week, what was called the prep cert, CELTA prep cert, um, at International House in London. Mm-hmm. And if that, I hope it was in 1982. Mm. Um, it was a very strange time. We did it in the summer of 1982 and there was an IRA bombing campaign in mm-hmm. London at the time, which... Um, meant that every now and then our classes were interrupted and the whole school, there were about six courses running at once. It was a big business international house. And we were all evacuated down to the basement, all the students and the teachers and the trainees, until the bombs scare had passed. And during that month, one of my 
contemporaries had her car destroyed by one of the bombs. Wow. It was a very odd time. Anyway, and meanwhile, I was struggling with the course. Um, we In our generation, we weren't really taught any grammar at school. And if you do a TEFL qualification, it's very grammar heavy. And we found it very difficult, and I did in particular. And I was always borderline failing that four-week course. And we had to do a case study uh, on a particular student. Um, I decided to do mine on an Icelandic priest. <laughs> it was the only person from Iceland in the school. And my theory was that the trainers wouldn't know what Icelandic was meant to be like. So that I could make it up a bit. <laughs> so I did that. Did it work uh, out well? Yeah, it worked out really <laughs> well, I think. I passed that bit. I did quite well in that bit. And I kind of just squeaked through the four-week course. And then I taught for a, um, a terrible private school in London for a month um, that was teaching kids. And I had a class aged between five and 15 years old. Oof. All in the same class? All in the same class. And the 15-year-olds were male twins and they were from Beirut and their brothers were fighting. They had moustaches and beards. And there was this a war, as is so often happening in Beirut at the time. And, you know, and then these tiny little Japanese wow. five-year-olds and... Oh, I've told you the story often before. I managed to lose um, two of the five-year-olds uh, one day. Uh, <laughs> Not in the classroom? No, we were taking them for a walk. And um, there were there were four of us that were supposed to be taking them for a walk. Um, one at the front, one at the back and two in the middle. Taking the whole school for a walk. And then um, we got bored with that, so we all congregated in the middle of the line instead, and we dropped two of the five-year-olds off the back of the line. <laughs> um, and they ended up wandering about London oh by themselves for ages. It was so absolutely terrible. And a very nice lady found them and walked them around the streets of London, pointing at places till they eventually got back to the school. And then we reunited them with their parents, who apolo apologised profusely. <laughs> the parents apologised to us. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> yes, and the next day we had to teach all our classes how to say the address of the school. Oh, good, yeah. Um, because we had failed to do that up to then. <laughs> um, so I came into my class and I said, we are going to learn the name uh, of the school and the address, and I wrote the name of the school on the board and then I wrote the address, which was 11 York Terrace. And my class, several of them immediately shouted out enthusiastically, 11 York trousers. <laughs> and then after that, all my class learnt that the address of the school was 11 York trousers. And I was never able to teach them to say terrace. Um, so all my class knew where they lived. And that was at 11 York trousers. And then I left that school. And I went to Paris. I stayed with some friends. Friends of my parents. And I went to Paris without a job. And I went in August. Did you go with the intention of working or just... Yes, no, I was going to look for a job. Okay. Um, I, I made a tiny attempt to get a job before, but as you know, this was all in the days when you had to send letters and mm. phone and so on. Yeah, so um, much more difficult. Yeah. And when I got there, it, the schools hadn't really got going, so it's, it was very much um, uh, autumn to summer time, you know, and it was still the... Well, you know what France was like in August. Nothing very was really happening. And everyone's on holiday. Yeah. You know, mm. nothing was happening in Paris. So I spent some time looking for somewhere to live. And I found um, this very tiny, very filthy flat in the Marais. Studio flat in the Marais. And I s 
as September started, I started getting interviews and I started going to the interviews. And I was one of the first people really in looking for work that autumn. So I got lots and lots of interviews and I got better and better at them. I was a terror, you know, I, I had this not very good report from the school, but I got very good at the interviews. And eventually I got offered a job at a fantastic school in Paris, but I realised just in time that I couldn't keep up to their standards because I, I, I was just terrible. I had no idea whatsoever. Um, so I took the next job down um, with a kind of reasonable school that I thought I could manage at, and that turned out I could I could do that. And um, I taught mainly on a thing that was, which I think, I've just looked it up, and I think it maybe is still going, called Formation Continue, or Formation Professionnelle Continue, where um, companies had to pay to teach their uh, employees something. Um, they had to spend a, a proportion of their turnover mm. on education for their okay. employees. And we were told that they liked to kind of dump it um, as quickly as possible into a company that would take all their money so that they didn't have to spend too much time worrying about it. And so lots of English schools had been set up to, to do that, to take the money off the schools and pay just to teach just a few students. I don't know if it's true or not. Um, and I used to mainly go to banks and teach a few managers. Um, and I taught a few groups as well. And I was paid, you know, I thought it was a really good hourly rate. Um, but I used to walk up and down the Champs-Élysées going into banks and teaching managers. <laughs> it, was, it was all very strange. Um, and I would just buy a newspaper usually on my way in, you know, buy an English language newspaper and then chat to these people who could already speak English really well <laughs> about what was going on in the world. It was strange. And they had to sign my, um, I had a, you know, like a sign-in sheet. And originally um, they didn't sign it if I didn't teach them. And quite often they had biz meetings. And after a while they all started to realise I didn't get paid if they didn't sign it. So some days I would just walk up and down the Champs-Élysées getting people to sign bits of paper <laughs> and, then, <laughs> and then get paid for that. If you, well, if this these were compulsory courses that the business made the, the employees do, does that mean they were not particularly motivated students or were they yeah no they were very unmotivated yeah they were they and as I said most of them were really quite competent in English already um and just wanted to have a bit of a chat so it was pretty terrible teaching experience <laughs> yeah, yeah um, I didn't learn very much so I taught there it's probably for about nine months altogether and then um I decided to come back to Cambridge to live with Jeremy father as you know and the rest, rest is history um and so <laughs> when I came back to Cambridge and started looking for work it looked as if I had a qualification and a year's practice a year's experience but I didn't really but again I'm quite good at interviews so I got a job at a good school but they very quickly realized again <laughs> I really wasn't that you'd very good the system yes <laughs> so mm. and I got taken on for the summer um, at that school. And then at the end of the summer, we, where things are a bit less serious, at the end of the summer, um, they were starting to run exam courses in the autumn. And they said I could stay if I would move on to the next qualification, which was the diploma in TEFL. Um, Delta. Delta, right. yes, Ooh, yeah. I suppose. Yes. The Masters of yeah. Teaching. Yes. So... 
I went to the school, the place that was being taught, the Bell School in Cambridge, and I had an interview with that. And the person who interviewed me said, you are not up to this. But they didn't have enough people on the course and she was pushed into taking me <laughs> in order to run her course. So I did that course for a year and I failed it. Really? Yeah. And it was a miserable experience. So I was really struggling to teach in a good... I was working in a good school, really struggling to keep my standards up. Um, I was a bit miserable about being back in England and I was failing the teacher's course. Wow. Uh, it was a horrible, really horrible year. But I w it was a good school I was working at and my colleagues were great and they eventually, you know, they tried to work with me. I kept trying to go out um, every time I could, uh, I would leave the school and I, I went out every lunchtime. And my boss, who was a wonderful woman called Laura Matthews, eventually wrote me a long letter, which made me very angry, but was full of truth, um, saying that I should stay in the staff room and I could really learn from the others. And I didn't really do that straight away when she said that. I was going to sunbathe on the roof of Newnham College that Very summer. Very sensible. That's what I was doing with my lunch times <laughs> and reading. Um, sounds lovely. Yeah, sounds I guess as, as the winter came on, maybe, <laughs> <laughs> I was staying in the staff room more. And I did, I did start to learn from them. Um, but it was a slow, painful year. And as I said, at the end of it, I failed the course. And then I had to do it <laughs> to start again immediately. Really? Yes. I failed, actually, I just failed the practical. Right. So I, I'm quite good at writing essays and stuff, and I did that okay. Well, I think I've told you my, so I had, um, we had two practicals, two observed classes, and um, I scraped through one of them, but the other was my class with my beginners, and had this tiny group of total beginners, and um, they were very excited about the observation, and on the day of the observation, they just took a deep breath and they performed in English as they'd never performed before and they didn't make any mistakes and we'd had to do this um, a prediction of how they would perform and I predicted the mistakes that they always made and they hadn't made any of them and the person who watched the class thought that I had um, trained them in the class they thought that I'd been practicing the class and when he left, they were so proud of themselves because oh. they knew they'd outperformed themselves, that they'd <laughs> never been so good at English. But they didn't realise they were meant to be showing that they were beginners. <laughs> um, yeah, so I failed and was basically accused of cheating. And it was very heartbreaking. But I was a terrible teacher. I mean, I did totally deserve to fail. So. <laughs> <laughs> and then, you know, it was just very slow. I slowly came to understand grammar. And as... You know, Rose eventually have a passion for grammar. Oh, I mean, yes, such a passion. I absolutely love yeah, English. Yeah, I can't imagine I love, you as a person yeah. who didn't... Who no. I mean, I'd always loved reading and I'd loved the, you know, because I studied English literature, I loved that kind of thing about English, but I love the way it put it's put together mm. and I love comparing one set of grammar with another. And Yeah, and I, I carried on teaching English in Cambridge. Eventually, I became a teacher trainer, much to my surprise. Again, struggled. I was terrible at it at first. My wonderful friend Mary O'Leary was my boss on those courses, and she was very tough, quite rightly. But I got pretty good at it in the end. And that's very rewarding. 
I moved from private schools where I was teaching in Cambridge most of the time to Anglia Ruskin University. And that was great because my students there were um, not nearly so entitled, not nearly so well off as in the private schools. All sorts of really in, uh, very, very interesting stories. They were older people, they were more of mixed groups. But as the years went on, it became more and more about exams, oh. um, especially first certificates, which I got very good at getting people through. And, and it was a, an absolute killer to do that term after term with group after group. So it's an intermediate level exam. It's quite a dull exam. I mean, there are worse exams. Um, I once taught for advanced and I did really enjoy that because I have a fantastic group for that. But teaching for exams relentlessly can be very dire. We talked about this with, yeah. with Katie yeah. a couple of weeks ago. It, it's a killer. Yeah. I mean, everybody, you know, in, in all of our education systems, that's a problem. And I realised, and I came to realise... When I started teaching English, there was a lot of crying. You know, I'm a crier anyway. <laughs> um, it was so hard for me. I was crying a lot. And then as the years went by, I was just laughing more and more. Oh. My student, I loved my students and they were so funny and so rewarding. Um, I directed pantomimes and I taught current affairs. And, oh, we, we were very passionate in our little groups about various wars and various horrors and we had some really good times but towards the end of my career in EFL I realised I had stopped laughing with my students oh. mm. it had all got quite because serious because you got used I'd, to the like Mr Funny I don't know I, 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 it just seemed like it was all more and more about exams and more and more about targets and it and more and more about I, I think you've talked about course books more and more about course books Textbooks and things. Textbooks, following, books, following teachers' along books, along bit, students' yeah. books, workbooks. Um, more and more of it. I mean, they, they've we've always had textbooks, and they were good, but they came more, more and more to be. This is what you do. They seem to be less fun, and I realised I had stopped laughing. Um, it wasn't making me laugh anymore, and then eventually I stopped completely in. 2002 I think that was the last I taught uh, a teacher's course in 2002 and that was the last EFL I ever taught and I moved over to teaching yoga <laughs> instead and teaching yoga still makes me laugh every day yeah um so yeah is there anything that you use from your as a yoga teacher that you learned from teaching English yes well I used the path game the other day as um which is a game that I used to, a creative writing game that I learned from Mario Lucre that I used to play. Um, and I use it as a meditation sometimes. Yes, I think you've done it when oh, relaxation that I've been in Yeah, that's really fun. And I was saying to somebody the other day, I don't think I did carry anything over. And they said, what about the confidence to stand up in front of a group of people? Um, and so I thought that, really. Um, was, that, was that a learned thing? thing for you or was were you just naturally able to do that at the beginning oh no no I was very lacking in confidence no I was very I was very shy and very lacking in confidence and when we were training our first week uh four weeks at international house that course four week course at international house um they took a video of us teaching and I had my eyes closed the whole time I'm teaching Aww. um so I I 
I sort of, you can see that I open my eyes as I turn towards the board or whatever, and then as I turn towards my students, and I sometimes crouch down towards them and close my eyes as I start to look at them, um, which looks absolutely hilarious. <laughs> Have you still got that video? No, no, I wish I had. I'm wearing a great outfit. Um, <laughs> so, yes, all that confidence, it, it certainly did help that I, that I learned from EFR. Um, and I think, and also that it's not about you, you know, that's the way not to be nervous. It's about them. It's mm -hmm. not about you. And if, as long as you remember that, then you can't be nervous. That's a good tip. Yeah. Was TEFL in general quite, was it popular when you were, when you were studying, when you were teaching? Did a lot of people from the UK do it? Yes. Yes. Okay. Absolutely. And I, I mean, I think, um, you know, we were the only resource then because there wasn't the internet. Mm. So people really did rely on you going to them or them coming to you. Okay, and speaking yeah. of people coming to you, who were your core demographic? Who were your students in the UK? Oh, that's such a good question. When I started, I think, very much European, uh, almost entirely. The school that I was at in Cambridge, we had a, about a third, a quarter, were Swiss Germans. So really good payers. They were largely bankers. Um, very serious. And um, the school always wanted the group to look international. So they would, whenever we had to do our brochure, they would comb the school for people of, of other backgrounds because everybody was so very European. And then there was a time when we there were more Arab students coming, which I really loved. And then, yeah, there were sort of various waves as as the economies went up and down. Um, our best time ever really was, the most exciting time was um, the year or two after the Berlin Wall came down. And that was an amazing time to be teaching and we were suddenly getting people coming across. Yeah. From Eastern Europe and 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 people mixing in the classes and this amazing exchange of histories it was a very moving time. I think that's something that we miss here teaching uh, in in another country because oh. all of our students oh, are of one yes. nationality. Whereas oh, it's so it's that different. from your stories, like oh. hearing about the people from all over the world who come yeah. coming together. Maybe, yeah. Maybe. Yes, and they make friendships. I mean, obviously, they will tend to stick together in little cliques, but in the class, outside the classroom, but in the classroom, if you have mixed nationalities, I mean, it, they just, it teaches itself, really, because you could just put them to talk. Mm. Yeah. And I think it's so different teaching monolingual than teaching yeah. multilingual. So in France, I just taught really mostly one to one or tiny, tiny groups. But in England, I always taught multilingual groups, and it's, it's so easy. Because they want to know what they want to learn about each other. Yeah. Did you find that people come in with with set prejudices? Yes. And eventually. Yes. Break those yes. barriers down. Yes. Wow. Magical. That's amazing. Yeah. It's that is it's such a great job. Or you know, I found it at first until, as I say, I I, I did get burned out with it in the end. And I think, you know, it's harder and harder to bring. I see my colleagues who've stayed in it. They have to do more and more. They have to get higher and higher qualifications and they have to even start to publish, which, you know, that kind of thing. Um, where I went to Anglia Ruskin University now, um, they have to do that. Whereas it was it was a fairly easy job when we were doing mm. it, I think. I think it 
It's pretty easy. <laughs> <laughs> I have zero qualifications. <laughs> <laughs> Anything else we need to cover? You said that you have a love of grammar, and I know you speak French, and you're trying to learn Spanish at the moment. And what was it that drove you to to learn those other languages? And did that help you teaching? In the first oh, that's really interesting. So, <laughs> my parents think that I speak French because they when we li we lived in Kuwait when I was tiny and they sent me to a French um, play group thing and um, so I learned some French when I was very young and then and I always liked French I like Latin so I, lo I, I just love learning languages so I learned Latin as well which I absolutely loved and I learned Latin two different ways I learned Latin in a kind of a Moa Samat way and I learned Latin from the um, Oxford re um, Latin scheme when it was in a pilot phase, which was much more story-led, mm. uh, which I really enjoyed as well. And then when I was 14, I started doing a French exchange, and I spent my summers when I was 14, 15, and 16 with a French girl, and we spent three weeks at her house, and three we spent the whole summer together, three weeks in France and three weeks in Wales. And I have parents they all spoke very beautifully and I just loved tuning into it and I remember the first I mean I can't say the sentence but I remember driving down you know like one of these visceral summer memories driving down the their road in a mother's car we were going to do the fantastic everyday food shopping that we did every day we drove from village to village to get the very best bits from each village for the food for each meal and this mother spoke this beautiful sentence using the subjunctive which I'd never heard before and that was like one of my best summer memories ah. ever <laughs> you're such a nurse such a nurse <laughs> uh, so yeah just a bit of a language <laughs> Well, you've um, passed it down to me, so... Yeah. <laughs> yes, well, it's been such a joy to have somebody who likes talking about language as well. The other, yeah, the yeah. other two. No, they no, don't. No, they don't either. speak any. They've got no good qualities. <laughs> <laughs> They're such famous. Uh, and I... So whenever we go on holiday, I, I like... You know, I'll, I'll spend quite a while trying to learn some language. I mean, I do forget it again. But I learned a little bit of Arabic when we went to Oman. And then that moment in a village when I was able to have a tiny conversation with a couple of kids. It's just really mm. magic, isn't mm. it? Yeah, it absolutely. Is. Something absolutely magic about being, just taking that tiny step into someone else's culture that you can only do through language. Yeah. And when you're teaching English, you can help other people to do that. And that's the message that you have to try and convey because sometimes it's lost. Some people don't know why they're learning another language, but that's it. No, and it is hard to teach in schools, I think. You know, most of the time I've been teaching people who are, you know, they have their own internal motivation to mm. learn. Mm. Um, or if it's external, it's for a job, you know, which is which still um, concerns them. Yeah. Right. <laughs> Thanks very much, Mum. <laughs> Happy Mother's Day. Yeah. Chris, We're call now, your mum. Yeah, Chris and John. Oh no, John, no, John's you pulled it. Fine. Um, and now we're going to go and enjoy a lovely fish pie, which my dad has been preparing for us while we've been recording. <laughs> <laughs> Thanks.
Thanks, guys. Right. Hope you enjoyed that episode with with Sally Lander. Uh, I thought it was really interesting, and I think there's a point that I wanted to pick up on, which is when she was talking about Delta. Right. So when she was she was talking about her training, she'd done the Delta, the Celta, the pre-cert. She'd had a lot of experience, but still felt quite well lacking in confidence, mm, didn't she? Yeah. Whereas, you know, for example, as you said in the episode, you have had no training, no formal, no, formal no, training. No, no training. I have only done an online TEFL certificate, which is useless for, for <laughs> being in the classroom. Um, and, you know, people like Katie had done... You know that in that day, really done, intense. Yeah, like a mid midway between us and and your mum, my mum, I suppose. Yeah, I, I think it it just goes to show that maybe you can come in with very little experience. You can come in with a lot of classroom based experience, but when you get into the classroom itself, when you're in front of those kids or adults or whoever you're you're with, you have to learn really quick. As your mum was saying, you just have to learn so quickly, don't you? Yeah. And there's not really much training that you can do for that. There is, you can learn all the theories in the world, but it doesn't help when you're yeah, when you're in front of the classroom. The classroom, yeah, absolutely. But I also really liked what she was talking about. Um, how in the days when she was just laughing every day, like mm-hmm. in her lessons, just having so much fun, and I think that's that's a great like thing to take away from. Yeah, absolutely. From the discussion. And I, and also just just because we have we have a few friends who who do teach full-time in in portugal in spain and you know they have got made a career out of essel teaching i think they'd have they obviously have the higher end certificates and i imagine that they have a lot of fun in the classroom yeah you'd like to think Uh, and i just think yeah and if you want to make a career out of it then it's it's very yeah it's it's pretty feasible isn't it yeah and you can do it abroad or in the uk yeah yeah because a lot of people want to go to the uk that the uk has so many language schools set up for people, kids and adults who who travel to the UK to learn in a more immersive environment. So there's mm-hmm. loads of opportunities, it seems like. So that's episode four. Uh, we very much hope you enjoyed it. Please, please, please do let us know your feedback. Give us some comments on our social media pages on Instagram and Twitter at Pain in the Class. Ooh. And also you can comment on SoundCloud. Oh, yeah. Or if you're, you know, a close friend, like most of you are. (laughs) Send us a text. Just text us, yeah. (laughs) WhatsApp. Right. That's us. Goodbye. Speak to you next time.